Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Guess what? I'm going to ask you for 90 minutes. If you'll give me that, I'll give you the world, and we'll look at current events happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going to go to Washington, D.C. to talk with Ken Timmerman. He's on the catbird seat there. We'll be with Ken in a moment. David Dolan standing by. He's got a Middle East news update. John Root is going to cover the European Union. He has some very interesting thoughts about this chemical attack there in Great Britain, supposedly caused by Russia. Stay tuned for that. Don DeYoung, we're going to be talking about the death of Stephen Hawking and the impact he had on the scientific world. Jim Jr., he's in Jerusalem. We'll talk with Jim. He and his brother Rick are there having a tour group travel into the land of the Bible. And then, David James, we're going to talk about evangelicalism. Where did it come from? What is it all about? Is it real today? This is all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. By the way, I'm in temporary studios in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. There are two towns right next together. Here with WPEO Radio, Bob Ulrich. This is the station that first put us on the air, suggested we take this hour and a half and do a nationwide broadcast. We're going to be with him for a special event. And then we're going on to Rensselaer, Indiana, the Tri-County Bible Church. Be there all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. Well, let me go to Ken Temmerman. Ken, just before I went on the air, I got a copy, the email you sent me, telling about the magazine article you did for Front Page. Very interesting read. I want everybody to go up to my website, prophecytoday.com. But this seems to indicate you're talking about an event taking place I think it was March 16th, 1988, but it proved that Saddam Hussein did have chemical weapons because he gassed thousands, I understand, of the Kurds in the northern part of Iraq, and it may well have a connection to what's going on in Syria. Talk to me about it briefly. The people can read the article in a moment. Absolutely. This is the 30th anniversary of the Halabcha massacre, the attempted genocide of the Kurds by Saddam Hussein, using mustard gas and sarin against civilians. About 5,000 people died. You know, I think you and I spoke about this five years ago when I was in Halabcha on this same day for a commemoration ceremony there. So my article today talks about an effort by survivors of the massacre to uh, find some justice in a lawsuit against the chemical uh, weapons manufacturers in Germany in particular, the companies and the people who supplied these deadly weapons to Saddam Hussein. There was significant information at the beginning of the 2003 Iraq war that Saddam was sending chemical weapons into Syria. In fact, that information came from a gentleman called James Clapper, who at the time was the head of the National Geospatial uh, intelligence agency uh, that controls all of our spy satellites. And he was talking about satellite photographs that showed convoys of trucks leaving Saddam's known chemical weapons facilities and heading for Syria. He said, we couldn't see inside the trucks, but it was certainly odd that they were doing that, going into the desert and then having things taken out of the trucks and buried in the desert in Syria. Now, all of that said, Jimmy, Syria didn't need Saddam Hussein to gain chemical weapons. They already had their own extensive program, 
started it with the French in 1977. And they also, just like Saddam, turned to German companies for precursors for the chemical weapons and for actual production technology. So this is a technology that is out there. It's not all that complicated. The North Koreans today appear to have stepped in as a supplier in Syria to the Syrian government. Uh, So those weapons are still out there despite a worldwide ban in 1989. And it goes to the fact that, indeed, there were chemical weapons of mass destruction under the tutelage of Saddam Hussein. Quite interesting information coming out. Great read. It's on my homepage, prophecytoday.com. This last week, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, was fired, and there is a rumor out, some, I don't know if you'd call it a rumor or is it real true news or not, that he was fired because of a rogue bid to try to save the Iranian nuclear deal. Do you know anything about that, Ken? Yeah, this is more than a rumor. <laughs> Tillerson has been in discussions with the foreign ministers of the European Union, who themselves were uh, among the negotiators of this bad Iran nuclear deal, and he was absolutely trying to save it. He had said repeatedly in public that he thought we should save the deal, perhaps a couple of amendments, small little amendments that the Europeans thought they might be able to get the Iranians to agree to. And uh, President Trump said, no, uh, this has to be a major overhaul of the deal or we're walking away from it. Let me tell you why that's important, Jimmy. The way the deal is written now, that Obama and John Kerry, his Secretary of State, negotiated, it allows the Iranians in 10 years to, again, uh, massively enrich uranium, potentially to make nuclear weapons. It takes the restrictions off their uranium enrichment. In the meantime, the deal had done nothing to restrict Iran's missile test. It's a nuclear-capable missile test, and the Iranians have been testing and testing and testing ever since they signed the uh, nuclear deal. And it gave them $150 billion of foreign currency deposits. It released that money, which had been frozen overseas in South Korea and Japan and China, Hong Kong, and, and other places. So we basically gave them a huge financial shot in the arm to revive the regime and did not put any meaningful restrictions either on their nuclear weapons, their long-term nuclear weapons capabilities, or their ballistic missile efforts. And so I believe that those reports that Tillerson was fired because of this are absolutely true and that the president was just waiting until he had convinced Mike Pompeo, who was at CIA at the time, to come on over and take up the Secretary of State's mantle. Very interesting development. And, of course, this has ramifications as it relates to the entire Middle East. Should there be a nuclear-powered Iran, the Saudi crown prince says we will get a nuclear weapon of mass destruction as well if Iran does that. Boy, that could cause a real battle for powers that control nuclear weapons. And, you know, it shouldn't surprise anybody to hear the Saudi crown prince say that. One of the arguments that I and people like John Bolton and many others were making when the nuclear deal was being negotiated by Obama and John Kerry was that, look, this is going to lead to proliferation. It's clearly going to lead to proliferation. It's going to encourage other countries in the region to go acquire nuclear weapons as well. And obviously the first among them is going to be Saudi Arabia. The Saudis have two paths to the bomb. Either they can take this civilian nuclear program that they recently announced. They said that they want to build nuclear power plants, right, to replace oil and natural gas as a source of power in the kingdom. 
And uh, they could either take those uh, power plants and fuel from those power plants and divert them illegally into a weapons program, or they could go a much quicker route, one that some analysts believe that they have, if not actually done, uh, certainly laid the groundwork for, and that is to purchase a weapon or a group of weapons from Pakistan. Why is that feasible? Because Saudi Arabia has been Pakistan's biggest financial supporter for 30 years. Many believe the Saudis, in fact, bankrolled Pakistan's nuclear program. Pakistan is believed to have anywhere between 60 and 120 nuclear weapons in its arsenal, so it's a big deal. It is certainly a big deal. And by the way, President Trump will be meeting with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia this upcoming week at the White House. Talk to me about our old buddy Tayyip Erdogan. He said that NATO, which he's a member of, by the way, is not strong enough to stand up to Turkey. And he's trying to prove that as well, isn't he? An amazing statement, amazing chutzpah on the part of this dictator Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey. Just so astonishing, Jimmy. Let me read you what he told a crowd at a rally, an election rally in Mersin in southern Turkey. Uh, He said, if NATO, this is a direct quote, he said, if NATO members were strong enough in Syria, they would have stood up to us openly and clearly, but they don't have the cheek, and so Turkey is standing up. I mean, that is really an amazing statement. This man is not a NATO ally. Turkey does not belong in the NATO alliance. Again, Tillerson, the outgoing Secretary of State, was trying to keep Turkey on the reservation, but Turkey has long been off the reservation, and Tillerson was basically like a monkey with his hands in front of his eyes. He just didn't want to see it. He didn't want to see the truth in front of him. I hope that Mike Pompeo, as Secretary of State, is going to recognize what's going on in Turkey and punish the Turks uh, the government of Erdogan appropriately. They should not be in NATO. And if they remain in NATO, they should have their access to any kind of intelligence information and weapons transfers completely cut off, in my view. Talk to me about the United States monitoring the possible North Korean military base in Syria. What about that? Well, this is a potentially a really big deal. U.S. spy satellites have picked up underground tunneling that's been going on apparently for a number of years in an area controlled by the Syrian government. They believe that it could be an underground chemical weapons site or possibly a nuclear weapons site. This is important if North Korea makes an agreement with the U.S. to somehow denuclearize, and if they just transfer those capabilities into Syria and into Iran, well, denuclearization of North Korea will not have accomplished very much. As we have a conversation with Ken Timmerman this time, sounds like this world's getting more dangerous than it has been in the past. But when we mention the players, they're all a part of that scenario that's found in God's Word, an end-time scenario that Bible prophecy lets us know is about to take place, which is very interesting if you're a student of what's going to happen in the future. Ken, always a very interesting conversation. I want everybody to go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to the home page and read the article that you wrote about the situation there with the Kurds back in 1988. Thank you so much for your writing, for the honor we have to have you right here with us on the broadcast. We appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. My pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got David Dolan standing by. He has a Middle East news update all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. 
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today here in Temporary Studios in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. Now, these are twin towns, and I'm here with WPEO Radio. They're our affiliate in this part of the world. Actually, the very first program of Prophecy Today was aired on WPEO, Bob Ulrich, giving me the opportunity, and he was the reason for the beginning of this hour-and-a-half weekly broadcast, helping you to understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. Our thanks to Bob and his entire staff. Well, as promised, we're going to have a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. David, actually, let's just get right underway with what I want to talk about. It seems right now in Israel there's a United States-Israeli dress rehearsal going on a joint response militarily if there should be an attack by the Iranians on the Jewish state of Israel. What do we know? Well, exactly, Jimmy. That's indeed what Hezbollah is charging as well. They uh, announced last week already, but it's been ongoing, a full military alert on their part because they claim that the U.S. was preparing to join Israel in an attack upon Hezbollah. Well, what they were referring to was, as you just mentioned, uh, two separate but very significant military, I guess you could say uh, evidence of the alliance between the two countries, military actions, uh, maneuvers, exercises going on uh, in two parts of the country. The one in the north was at Haifa Port. Now, that wasn't actually a formal maneuver or exercise with the Israelis, but the USS Iwo Jima came in Haifa Port, 
a two or three day visit and uh, sailors were all uh, taken in buses to see Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and tour around the country. But they also did a display of their carrier's amphibious capabilities in Haifa Bay. They brought out some of their big amphibious craft, uh, took them around, showed how they could dock, showed how they could come up onto shore easily anywhere, any shore, meaning, of course, just 30 miles north on the Lebanese coast, they could land. These are massive things. I think you've probably seen them, Jimmy. So Hezbollah was watching that, and, of course, Iran and Syria and Russia presumably as well. But meanwhile, in the Negev, there were formal uh, maneuvers between Israeli forces and U.S. Marines, and there was a major operation there, and there was aircraft involved and all sorts of things. And, again, we now have, over the past few months, a permanent U.S. military base has been opened in the Negev Desert in the south of Israel. So the display of uh, unity between the two powers, the two allies, and the uh, display of military strength between them was definitely there over the past few days. Of course, the U.S. military leaders and Israeli leaders, and et cetera, are not saying out loud this is mainly aimed at scaring off our enemies and at showing them what uh, capabilities we have and that we do have powerful friends with powerful capabilities. But this is what the message is, Jimmy, and it's an important message for the Israelis to send right now because they felt that U.S. credibility and deterrence credibility had so eroded under Barack Obama that nobody believed anymore that the U.S. would possibly come to Israel's aid or Jordan's aid or anybody's aid in a full crunch, but because Obama just seems so such a pacifist in these matters. Well, Donald Trump doesn't come across that way at all, and so the uh, the U.S. is back in the Middle East, and of course the Russians are there in a massive way that they weren't four years ago, but they are now, and at least there is this response in the Israeli steel. It's very important for their own deterrence capability. I'm watching what King Abdullah of Jordan has been saying lately. He's doing everything he can to kickstart and actually revive the peace process. He has special interest, of course, because of all the Palestinians that live there in Jordan. But at the same time, I read a very interesting article about Palestinian peace plan. In other words, they have their own plan. They don't care about their people because the leader of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, got mad with the Trump administration, especially with the declaration of the city of Jerusalem as the political capital of the Jewish people. He does not want the United States involved in a peace process with the Israelis and the Palestinians. The Palestinian peace plan seems to be, hey, we're not going to cooperate with anybody. Ultimately, we want to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. That's not a peace plan. That's a, that's a declaration of killing every Jew you can get in sight, right? Jimmy, this whole talk of a renewed peace plan really came from the United States, from the new Trump administration uh, about a year ago when uh, Kirshner was appointed the president's son-in-law to pursue this and Others got involved, Greenblatt on the White House staff and others. There's no peace process going on, Jimmy. The Palestinians are in total disarray. We had an attempt on the life of uh, the Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Hamdallah this week in the Gaza Strip, a very powerful bomb 
exploded underneath his convoy and and uh, didn't wound him, but did wound some of the security guards. And the PA, Abbas and others, blamed Hamas for that, said Hamas is trying to undermine any unity. They're totally divided internally. The Israelis are preoccupied with Lebanon and Syria and Iran and all that's going on there. We had a government crisis over uh, an ongoing regular issue in Israel, the conscription of Orthodox uh, men in particular into the army, and that caused a, a government crisis a week ago, and Netanyahu nearly lost his coalition. He survived that, but so he was paying attention to that. And meanwhile, Jimmy, Israeli press reports are saying this week that a meeting on Tuesday at the White House, which was ostensibly to discuss the Gaza Strip and its aid problems and its financial problems, electricity problems, etc., and there were Arabs there and there were others there, that Greenblatt reportedly told the Arab participants that the Trump administration is going to quietly put to bed its peace proposal for now. And there's various reasons for that. Of course, one being Gerald Kirshner lost his White House top security clearance, so he can no longer pursue it at the same level that he was. The president has apparently realized that it's a much tougher issue, that he may believe in the art of the deal, but this is the deal that nobody's been able to make for decades, and they thought they'd made it so many times. The Oxford Peace Accords and, and et cetera, and the, the opportunities were there so many times, and it's never happened. And so it looks like the Trump administration has decided. This is what Israeli press reports, again, are saying. We haven't had the White House confirm this that I'm aware of, but that they have decided to quietly put the whole thing back on the back burner where it was and concentrate on the other things. And the Israelis, I can tell you, would be thrilled with that because they see no chance of a peace treaty with the Palestinians at this time and that the, it just being discussed causes more tensions and more terrorism and more anticipations that are not met and expectations that are not met. And it's better to just leave it unless there's a real chance of a breakthrough, which at the present time is approximately zero. David, this certainly fits into the prophetic scenario that's found in the Word of God. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, it seems that the next real true peace process will be played out when the Antichrist comes on the scene and confirms some of those treaties that you mentioned that are already on the table. More on that when I take a look at the book a bit later here on this broadcast. Let me talk to you about the Gallup poll that's just been released. U.S. public sympathy for Israel at a record high. I mean, this is quite interesting. The United States, with the president and his leadership, and now the public themselves, really excited and are standing with the Jewish people, probably most likely because of evangelical Christians who believe the Word of God says God does have a plan for the Jewish people in the future. Would you agree with that? Well, I think it is that, Jimmy, and I do agree that the support's never been higher and the polls are correct on that, but I think it's twofold. It is because American evangelicals have become, over the past two, three decades, much better educated on what the Bible has to say about Israel, what the promises are, what this means. That's A, but B, Jimmy, is the fact that Israel was being blamed for almost everything bad that happened in the Middle East. Now what do we have? We have suicide attacks all over the world. We've had these attacks everywhere, Jimmy. And why? Because they're all saying, you're infidels. 
And the Quran <laughs> tells us we have to wage this jihad, holy war, against you until you're subdued or destroyed, until you convert or you're gone. And now more and more people and Americans certainly understand this is what's actually happening, and we can't negotiate in a way they're going to continue to keep attacking us just because we exist, and that's true with Israel, and we have no choice then but to be wise and to fight back and do it intelligently. I think that's a major change of public opinion based on what's happening in the world over the past two, three decades. That's great insight, David. Always you come to the broadcast table with information that our ears need to listen to. You've done it again today. David Dolan is the man, a longtime journalist in the Middle East. He's the guy that comes and gives us a Middle East news update. David, as always, thank you so much, my good buddy. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have John Rude at this broadcast table. He's going to talk with us about a European Union update. He has some ideas about that chemical attack in Great Britain. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Normal Bloomington, Illinois. We stopped here on our way up to Rensselaer, Indiana, where we'll be at the Tri-County Bible Church. We're going to have a great time up there for a one-day prophecy conference, four sessions on Sunday. Love to have you come and join with us in this Bible study of the prophetic truths found in God's Word. Well, we're here because we're going to be with WPEO Radio, Bob Ulrich and all of his gang. They're here at a special event. We had to stop on our travels from Iowa. Thought it'd be great to see these old friends. They asked me to be on the radio with them. They're doing a broadcast. This is one of our, in fact, the very first station we ever had in our network for Prophecy Today. Bob and Kay and all the gang, looking forward to seeing them. Well, let's get together with the man I'm excited to be able to talk to because we have to focus on what's going on in the European Union and a number of things that we need to talk about. Our man there is John Rude, and John, who lived in the area of the European Union and in particular in Brussels, Belgium, for over 20 years, knows what's happening in that part of the world. John, let me get underway with this. A major, major problem as it relates to the United Kingdom and the Russian spy 
and the accusations that Vladimir Putin gave the orders himself to kill this man on British soil. And then the Allies coming together, even the United States, President Trump accusing the Russians on doing this. What do we know about this, and why is it so important? Well, uh, one of the largest factors on this issue uh, hasn't really been brought to the forefront. Actually, it's a bit of a uh, coincidence that this Sunday is the presidential elections in Russia. They have eight candidates but there's really that nobody is going to oppose President Putin at this time. So it's to the benefit of Russia to revive this idea that they're victimized by the West. The nerve agent that was used for this attack is clearly linked to Russia. So the allies, France, Germany, U.S., and the United Kingdom, they see there's really no plausible alternative explanation that this came from Russia. And again, using a nerve agent such as Novichok, which was used in this case, and before, remember, there was also a uh, spy assassination using radiation polonium a few years ago. So for this, it's sort of like it leaves a calling card. So it is a substance that can be identified and can be traced, and yet the whole story is told with this spin that uh, Russia is victimized. So it actually could be a very well-planned-out uh, ploy to uh, put the attention on President Putin before the elections. Not that he's concerned about losing, but he wants to have that sentiment, and he wants to have a large turnout. You know, that's a great bit of insight that you're bringing to this broadcast table, John. I've never had one person mention that in the media as I've been monitoring this thing pretty closely. Very, very interesting, and in fact, most likely the case itself. There is this problem that's going on between Russia and the European Union. What is the basis of that? And this is key as we look at future events and the two major superpowers when we go into the tribulation period. I'm talking about the European Union and Russia, of course, with their alignment there in the Middle East. Is this a part of just setting the stage, or is there real political animosity between these two different factions? The Russian government and the tensions with the European Union have been great through the, the years. The European Parliament at one time was flat out nearly 10% a communist. And so we have a political spectrum in Europe, which is very wide. Uh, in the United States, we have, you know, a contention between Republican and Democrat, and this is the vast, vast majority of the political alignment and thought. Uh, on European standards, that would actually be pretty narrow at in the middle. So Russia has had inroads into European Union politics, and of course there's been the tension through the years with NATO and with the uh, Russian republics, even the fact of Crimea that was annexed to Ukraine in the 1950s. And then again, that's become a big major issue of the expansionism of Russia that's right now. So they do see themselves 
you know, in terms of a new Cold War, I believe that there are elements that are there that have never passed away. That would be the way I would say it. But countries have their own interests, and leaders have their own interests. There is a foremost political scholar, Bruce Bueno de Mesquita, and he actually has an algorithm that prepares and can pretty accurately predict a number of international conflicts. I actually saw one of his books saying that Russia would invade Ukraine before it happened. And so these things are very, very interesting to monitor. And with Bruce, he has this underlying theme that always reoccurs, that essentially leaders work on their own behalf. Leaders will actually work on their personal behalf before the vote of their electorate. Let me talk to you, John, and let me interrupt there just for a moment, because you mentioned Crimea. Uh, That is an interesting battle going on between the European Union and Russia. Of course, the European Union believes that uh, Ukraine is a part of their system, their political operation. Russia is claiming Crimea needed a warm water port. This is going to be a hot spot in the future, is it not? Oh, absolutely, and it has been uh, for some time. The Russian perception of Crimea could actually be understood. Uh, it's, it has been a part of Russia for 200 years. If the United States felt that Florida was going to be annexed and so forth, uh, you know, people would consider that the United States. I do understand that. But it was actually done through an agreement that was formally annexed to Ukraine in the 1950s. Yet it brought the tension where it could be reintroduced because there's uh, a great number of ethnic uh, Russians in Crimea, and it also is an autonomous republic even when it would belong to Ukraine. So it had its own parliament and so forth. But the United, uh, the European Union has worked with Ukraine, and sometimes they kind of throw out a carrot. They don't necessarily always show their first intention, but there was interest in Ukraine to become part of the European Union. But frankly, the European Union would not be interested to do that unless they actually see the benefit. And then the European Union is also careful to bring in uh, countries with large populations because then they have a certain representation in the European Parliament and the rotating presidencies of the Council Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So Ukraine will continue to be a tension point, and there's of course the factions between the East, which is more pro-Russian, and the West, which is hoping to be in the European Union. Although I don't see that to be something that happens quickly. Now let me just ask this: Of course, you're a student of Bible prophecy, as I am, and we always talk politics about the European Union before we go into prophecy. Uh, but mentioning Russia, European Union, Ukraine, all a part of the setting of the stage for end-time events to unfold. That is the case, is it not? Uh, Absolutely. We have the progression of world empires, and so what we're looking for is a revived Roman Empire, and we have no other plausible scenario of a prototype of of the revived Roman Empire. It never went away. We had the Holy Roman Empire for a thousand years from Charlemagne up to Napoleon. And so it's all a similar scene to bring together what are the iron and 
the mixture of iron and clay of the of the feet and the toes in Daniel's vision, Daniel chapter two. Yes, sir, and that is Bible prophecy. You know, even when Dr. Rob Congdon was assisting us in reporting on the European Union, we did the same thing. John, I'm glad you're in the saddle and helping us look at these events unfolding in that very important region of the world to see how all of this comes together to accomplish God's plan for the end times. Great insight on our conversation today, John. So appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Look forward to it. Very important report on the European Union and their activities, especially as it relates to the United Kingdom and Russia and the other nations that have aligned with this denouncement of what the Russians seemingly have done. We'll stay on top of that story for you with John Rood, our man covering the European Union. Right now, we're going to Dr. Don DeYoung. He is the head of the science department and a renowned astronomer. He is the head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and one of our broadcast partners that we so enjoy being able to have a conversation with. Now, on this last week, a renowned scientist, according to the world's standards, has died. I'm talking about Stephen Hawking, and at 76 years of age, he has gone into eternity, which concerns me because of some of the things he had to say. However, he was a very unique person, was he not? Well, yes, uh, Jimmy, uh, the science world is mourning the loss of uh, Stephen Hawking. Well, he, you know, amazingly to me, he overcame many physical problems to actually accomplish a very interesting life and career, uh, which, if you will, describe a couple of the outstanding things that uh, may have been a claim to his work down through these years. Yes, Stephen Hawking uh, was very popular among the uh, scientists and really the lay population. He certainly did overcome severe disability, and in that way he became a champion. And he was also a, a popularizer of science, especially of space, which is always of interest, and he had deep insights there. Uh, the specialty of Stephen Hawking involved um, black holes, which, uh, as we know, are collapsed stars. He did incredible theoretical work with those black holes, and even though he was fully incapacitated, he was able to manipulate equations in his mind and come up with uh, new ideas. Uh, one of the ones that he's known for is uh, the conclusion that black holes, which again are collapsed uh, stars, do not stay that way forever, but sooner or later they give off radiation and they disintegrate and just uh, kind of turn back into gas, apparently, if time would permit. So he kind of pushed the frontier of our knowledge of uh, really the rundown of the universe, especially black hole theory. However, Don, beyond that, which you've just been talking about, and you as a scientist and an astronomer, what do you think about his theories, his teachings on our universe and how it all came into existence? Well, he certainly was deep involved with theory and model building, but uh, it's all naturalistic. We are all looking at the same data, even if it's radiation coming from deep space, and it's the interpretation of that that varies. 
in uh, my view, the data that we see reflects the, the creation, the supernatural creation, which is beyond our understanding, but we can enjoy some of those details. And Stephen Hawking and others go in another direction and try to explain the whole thing from some kind of spontaneous beginning. Stephen Hawking firmly believed in the, the Big Bang Theory, and he would say there was just nothing before that time. It just occurred. And Stephen Hawking put a lot of emphasis on the idea of gravity and uh, time works it all out and uh, just could not get beyond that, just very materialistic. And sometimes I wonder, Jimmy, what even happened to him in his early life to turn him against the idea of a creator of the supernatural. As his life went on, he became more and more embittered against the idea of the creator. You know, just before I talk about what his thoughts on God were, talk to me about his uh, ideas or his theories on time travel. Uh, this was something that uh, he had really studied and spoke a lot about, the possibility of time travel to mysteries out in space somewhere. Yes, time travel, very speculative and science fiction-like, and I think that's another reason why he was popular, because he kind of delved into those areas. Time is interesting, Jimmy. The fact is... Uh, it is somewhat flexible. Time can be stretched or contracted. We can, we can do this certainly on the nanosecond scale. And he just kind of ramped that up to a, a large scale, thinking that in time, if this world would continue and uh, we would continue to you know, make progress, perhaps we could even get around the limitations of time. Hawking also talked about uh, multiple universes, that there may be other universes beyond this one and uh, all very speculative. The fact is, all we know is the universe we have, and uh, we can do very little with time. God controls that arrow of time as things wear down. So it's just uh, going off the deep end with speculation, really a replacement for God's control. Well, you're speaking of God's control. He also had this statement made and had become very popular because of this statement that we are in the position of God. In other words, it seems, according to what his thinking was, we become like God. Yes, in his writing he thought uh, and wrote that as we continue to make progress in the area of physics, his words were, we might learn the mind of God. Now, when people asked him what he meant by that, he said... What that means is we can replace the idea of God with our own thinking, that we'll be doing the same thing that God would have. But again, he rejected the idea of God, and that's to his sadness. Among all his intellect, Jimmy, I think back to the scriptures, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Stephen Hawking had great knowledge, great intellect. He soared when it came to equations but was sadly lacking in the wisdom of his maker. Bottom line, Don, would you agree that uh, most likely everything he reported on was simply a theory, not absolute scientific proof? And in fact, he made some decisions based upon faith on how everything came about. Well, he certainly did, and that was his conclusion. He said that the idea of heaven, the idea of God was, he said those were fairy tales for those who were afraid of the dark. In his own mind, he was a brave man marching forward, but he, he turned away from the whole spiritual side of life. It's a case where his intellect and his thinking and his surroundings just kind of, uh, you know, overcame the, the, the deeper things of life. 
and uh, must say he, he has uh, knowledge far beyond what we have today, but uh, to know God's Word and his book and uh, gives us some wisdom that Stephen Hawking sadly did not possess. Yes, wisdom that helps us to understand how everything came into existence, Genesis chapter 1. How be it, bottom line, for us as well, we need to take that by faith also, don't we? We certainly do. Gravity is real. That was uh, Hawking's life. But, of course, God makes gravity in the first place and is far beyond our current physics. Dr. Don DeYoung, a good friend of us, a broadcast partner for us here on Prophecy Today. I wanted to honor the ideas and the life of this man, Dr. Stephen Hawking, but I wanted everybody eavesdropping on this conversation to understand God's Word is absolute on creation as we, as Don just said, take it by faith. Don, thank you so very much for reminiscing with me on the life of Dr. Stephen Hawking. We appreciate it so much, and thank you for your insight. Thank you, Jimmy, for the visit. Very, very important conversation, and interesting also that I had with Dr. Don DeYoung on the life of Stephen Hawking. Everything had to be by faith. Better to put your faith in the Word of God, because that is absolute as you come to an ultimate study of it. Well, right now we're going to Jerusalem, Israel. Our two sons, Jim Jr. and his younger brother Rick, are there with our tour group, They have started their tour. They're in the land of the Bible. They're going to be traveling ultimately on over to Turkey and then into Rome. And the next couple of weeks, I'll be catching Jimmy in these countries where they're going to be traveling, and we're going to have great conversations with him. Hey, Jim, great day today as you went touring with the group from the United States. (laughs) We had a great time, Dad. Went to Independence Hall. What a great place to go especially during this year of the 70th anniversary of Israel. Well, I guess that is the starting point for the Jewish state of Israel. It was on May the 14th, back in 1948, when it all came about. To go there and to be in the location where Ben-Gurion announced to the world that Israel was a Jewish state, well, that's a a treat for us who are old-time travelers in the nation of Israel. But for these new people who've never been there, I bet you it blew them away, most likely. It sure did. You know, when you go there, and we've talked to people before, that when Ben-Gurion made that announcement, people thought for sure that it was only a matter of seconds before the rapture of the church would take place. Yes, you're exactly right, Dad. To be there in the place, in the location, and these folks that are with us realize the significance of those words when David Ben-Gurion brought the state of Israel back into existence. So it was really neat to see that story retold, the, the house and where it took place, which was the home of the mayor, and to be there to hear those words. As a matter of fact, Dad, one of the guides that guided you and Dr. John Ankerberg through the museum years ago that we have on Israel Under Fire. He was there. He remembers you, and he told that story again just as well as he did when you guys did it on TV. Well, that was a great story. I was so excited to hear it for the first time from the actual events being unfolded and told about there at uh, that location. Great, great opportunity for our friends who are on tour with Joshua Travel, part of the Ministry of Prophecy Today. They're in the land of the Bible. Now, you mentioned the 70th anniversary. Their birthday is upcoming, 
And, of course, they're going to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem on that exact same day. They've invited President Trump to be there and inaugurate the moving of that embassy to Jerusalem. And so with all of that happening, with the president declaring that Jerusalem is the political capital, moving the embassy there, how are the Israeli people? We've heard from the excitement that you have in your voice and telling about our friends traveling with you and Rick there. But what about the Israelis? Are they excited about this 70th birthday? And are they excited about the declaration by Donald Trump on the city of Jerusalem? Those that are excited think the United States, and they're saying that that is the best gift that the United States and President Trump could ever have given Israel on its 70th anniversary. There are many people that are very excited about this taking place. And talking with Israelis here in the land, I would have to say it's a probably about 70-30. You know, of course, you have 70% of the people are very much in favor of this and love to see now that the world is, at least the United States, is recognizing and many other countries are following suit that Jerusalem is the capital of the state of Israel. But you do have those that think that this is very politically motivated, and they're kind of taking the laissez-faire attitude towards the embassy moving. And they frankly say that this is going to cause them some problems. So, you know, you do have a mixture uh, here in the land, and uh, that's, not, <laughs> that's not that unnormal. Well, of course, you know, when you live in a tough neighborhood like the Jewish state of Israel, surrounded by about 350 million enemies, Arabs and Muslims who want to kill you immediately, uh, that is a pretty tough neighborhood, so I can understand their concerns possibly by doing all of this, focusing on Jerusalem, the embassy moved down the 70th birthday uh, that there would be some anger among many, of course, hopefully not so much among the Jews, but, of course, the Arab-Muslim neighbors would take that attitude. Well, it's pretty safe, though, even in light of that. Uh, you've had no problems as it relates to your people traveling with you from the different sites, from one site to another, have you? We've had no problems at all. It's been very... Uh, in fact, the only problems that we've had is they're building a brand new entrance into the city of Jerusalem as you come up Highway Number One. So <laughs> the traffic is the is the main concern, I think, on on the minds of most uh, Jerusalemites as they are trying to make their way around the city. But other than that, people are welcoming us with open arms. There are also many people that are here during the spring season, so we're enjoying our time here. Well, let me ask you about that entrance to the city of Jerusalem. Is that the high-speed train coming from Ben-Gurion Airport that's going to take people all the way over to the Temple Mount? Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about, Dad. Uh, they're saying it's going to take about four years. It is a train that will bring people from the airport all the way into the city, up Highway Number 1, that main entrance coming into the city of Jerusalem, and it is under construction. And it will go to the Temple Mount. Somebody can fly, some Jewish person can fly from any place in the world, fly into Bingarin Airport, get on the train, go right to the Temple Mount, which is, of course, the most sacred piece of real estate in all of Judaism for our dear Israeli friends. Well, Jim, after this, you're going to have a 10-day tour there in Israel and then going over to Turkey and on to Rome. Now, these are key components of our tour for our friends from America, are they not? They are, Dad. We're going to go to Turkey. We're going to the site of the seven churches from the book of Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the last words of Jesus Christ to the church. We're going to those sites where I'll be doing teaching there on location, and then from there we head to Rome, very important city, be the headquarters for the Antichrist, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, where he will set up his headquarters and the false church. So we'll be talking about Revelation chapter 17, a very important event in the future. Well, and talk to me about who the tour group is. This is basically made up of a lot of our friends, but mostly of uh, some of the people from Bayside Baptist there in Chattanooga. Am I correct? We have friends. This is their second time, uh, most of them, that have been here. And I told them, I said, listen, I've been here probably over 150 times in the land of Israel, and I still see new things when I go to a site. So just because it's their second time or maybe their third or fourth time, our friends from Tennessee, as they come in to go on our tour, they're excited. And even on our first days, they're seeing things that they hadn't seen before. So we know that that's the case after so many years here of people returning over and over again and going with us. And we really like to show Israel past, present, and future. And that story and how really how God, in his word from Genesis to Revelation, lays down the plan for all of mankind. It surely is, Jim, and I'm so glad you and Rick could be there to accompany them through the land, and as you teach the Word of God, I'm sure they're going to get more excited each and every day. Just wanted to give a shout-out to our good friends over at Bayside Baptist in Chattanooga. Hey, Jim, we're looking forward to the conversation when you go to Turkey and then into Rome, two very important locations, a part of your itinerary for this particular tour. Appreciate it. Give love to Rick and all the people, and have a great tour for the next couple of days. Thank you, Dad. I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Great conversation with Jim Jr. Always a joy when your children are following you and taking over your ministry. They're having a great time on the tour there in Israel. Going to have to take a break, and when I come back, one more broadcast partner, David James. He's standing by with an issue to discuss. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Let me welcome you back to the last half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. At the beginning, I ask you for 90 minutes. You need to give me 30 more minutes so I can complete my responsibility of looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. So glad to have you along. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm in a temporary studio here in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. WPEO Radio is in this area. It's our flagship station. We actually started this broadcast here on WPEO over 20 years ago. We appreciate Bob Ulrich and all of his team, and we participated on one of their broadcasts while here as well. We'll leave this afternoon to drive up to Rensselaer, Indiana, the Tri-County Bible Church. Their pastor, Andy Majorans, has invited everybody to come along and join us for the one-day prophecy conference, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the evening. Love to have you come study the prophetic Word of God with us. And while at the website, want you to answer our poll question. The poll question, with all current events seemingly unfolding to fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word, as we report these events to you, give you background information, does it seem like we're getting closer to the time of the fulfillment of each and every one of the prophecies foretold in God's Word? 
Now, that's our poll question. It's on my website, the home page. Go there, scroll down on the left-hand column. You'll find the poll question. Answer it. We'd be thrilled if you would do that. And while there, check out about our School of Prophets conference. It's upcoming in May, May 29, 30, and 31 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Going to have two courses. David James will be teaching Understanding Islam. Boy, that's a subject we need to have an understanding of today. And then I'm going to take us in three sessions. This will be the first one upcoming in May through the entire Bible, all 66 books, and show you how Bible prophecy is in the Bible. This will be part one. That's what I'll be teaching at the School of Prophets Conference, May 29 through 31 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Go to my website to find out more information. We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation, a focus on an issue that the body of Christ, you and I, my good friend, listening to this broadcast, need to have a prophetic perspective of and look at what God's Word says about that issue. We're going to do that with David James as we converse here. David, you just arrived back home from a week of teaching there at Word of Life Canada and you'll be home for a couple of weeks before your next trip. And then back at the end of May, when we'll get together in Chattanooga for our School of Prophets Prophecy Conference, where you'll be teaching understanding of Islam. Boy, that'll be a great time. Well, David, this week there was an article on Christianity Today website that asked the question, what is evangelicalism? Which makes our discussion sort of a follow-up on what we talked about last week. Well, that's right, and uh, it's actually a very in-depth article, and to be quite honest with you, I think uh, the average person would have, find that their eyes glazed over because, in my view, it, uh, they got very deep into the weeds. But uh, it was helpful for someone who wants to understand some of the history of evangelicalism, actually tracing it back to uh, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Uh, and, of course, it took time for that to develop. If people... I I think uh, many evangelicals think that because Martin Luther rediscovered that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, that he was very evangelical in his mindset. But actually, he was far more Catholic. It's just that he rediscovered uh, some of the truths concerning salvation by faith. But deep, very deep into the article, there is a helpful paragraph that I think would uh, be helpful for everyone, and they point out that evangelicals have historically had four primary concerns, and that is that what it means to have a personal, meaningful relationship with Christ uh, through salvation, that the Bible has been central to their lives as a matter of uh, supreme authority of belief and practice, uh, then exalting the cross of Christ and focusing on what Christ specifically did on the cross who suffered and died for us. And then all of this led to a great amount of focus on missions and evangelism to reach the world with that message of salvation uh, on the basis of Christ's death. Well, David, although the article does go deep into the weeds, as you said, I like that phrase, in trying to define evangelicalism, the term evangelical was originally based upon a very simple concept, was it not? Well, that's true. It's based upon the, uh, it's a 
of transliteration of the Greek word, which simply means good news. So uh, in my understanding, I would say that evangelical is, is uh, very much related to the gospel itself, and it would be the idea of this, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based upon the authority of the Word of God alone, uh, to the glory of God alone. And so the idea of salvation by grace through faith is the heart of uh, what it means to be an evangelical. And and beyond that, I would say this, it would be the exclusive message of the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. And I would say that this is in contrast to uh, liberal Protestant theology that developed, and it's actually a reaction to liberal Protestant theology, which tends to deny both the centrality of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, but more importantly, it tends to deny the salvation is only found for those who hear, understand, and believe the gospel, and they would be much more inclusive of other messages and other religions, and also they would, as part of that, they would incorporate good works into uh, what it is necessary to be saved, and so someone in another religion, if they did enough good works, then they could be considered worthy of heaven, and that would be absolutely contradictory to what it means to be an evangelical. David, as I recall our conversation last week, we briefly mentioned what led you and I to start the School of Prophets and you the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, but a major catalyst for you was a survey that came out in 2008 which showed that many who identify as evangelicals really aren't in terms of their theology. Explain this. Well, that's true. Uh, I was on furlough in the summer of 2008, and uh, the Pew Research Group uh, released a survey of over 30,000 churchgoers in the United States. And over 9,000 of those in that survey self-identified as evangelicals. And as I said, an evangelical would be someone who believes that you must be born again in order to have forgiveness of sin and eternal life, salvation uh, in Christ. However, what the survey showed was uh, one of the questions had to do with the view of uh, the people toward those in other religions and whether there was a possibility of being saved apart from explicit hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel. And of these, and you would expect that broadly that many people would not think that that would absolutely be necessary, but you would think that those who uh, identify as evangelicals would say, yes, you must hear, understand, and believe the gospel to be saved. But the surprising thing in the survey was that approximately 60%, a full 60% of those who identified as evangelicals said that they believed that there was a possibility of salvation apart from uh, explicitly placing your faith and trust in Christ. And when I saw that survey, if you remember, I sent you basically a two-line email that said, Jimmy, this is what I'm finding. Is there a need for us to uh, come together and, and begin to develop an organization or a means of holding the line on uh, historical conservative evangelicalism uh, to address this issue because it was affecting the churches in the United States and world missions, and you immediately got back with me, and that was the catalyst that uh, set this whole thing in motion. That's the spark that started the fire. Well, you know, at that same time, I remember uh, just before that survey came out, the director of Word of Life at that time was 
a man named George Tice, good friend of you and me, he contacted me about a pastor that he knew who had recently preached a message titled, Why I Am No Longer an Evangelical. Boy, that twicked my interest as well. This pastor soon became one of the co-founders of ABI. Well, that's right. So between my email to you and then your response concerning hearing about this message, it turns out uh, this pastor's name is Paul Barreca, and at the time he was the pastor of Faith Bible Church in Vineland, New Jersey. And so after my email, you contacted him, and this, set, again, set the whole thing in motion. And we had uh, a series of meetings in, in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, we were discussing and probing uh, and talking to each other. And what he meant when he said this, was not that he had departed from evangelicalism, but rather that evangelicalism had departed from him in the sense that it had become so broad that it really did not retain its historical meanings. People of every stripe were identifying as evangelicals, and and so many of the people who were calling themselves evangelicals, he could no longer identify with. He did not accept uh, evangelicalism and the definition that it had become because of broadening theology, uh, a lack of commitment to the Bible as being authoritative and errant, uh, inspired, uh, the lack of commitment to the gospel as the only means of salvation. And so it seemed that we had found someone who was seeing the same things that you and I were seeing. And, and again, uh, within literally within a few months, we had made the decision to uh, go ahead and start uh, this ministry, the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. So therefore, David, for yourself, do you still identify as an evangelical, or do you use another term? And what does that term mean to you? Well, here's the way I put it. I qualify it. So I I think evangelical is helpful as long as people understand what you mean. And so what I say is that I am historically conservative evangelical. And what I mean by that is that my theology has not changed. It goes back to things that were even identified a hundred years ago in a series of documents, a series of pamphlets and booklets that were entitled The Fundamentals. Now, I don't use fundamentalist because now that term has been hijacked by those who would fly planes into buildings and blow themselves up, and and it tends to now have some negative connotations as far as legalism and all that. But my theology is definitely fundamentalist. And what I mean by historical evangelical, what I mean is I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It must be understood literally. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, and that everyone must hear, understand, and believe the gospel to be saved. I believe that the Bible is the only authority for uh, life and practice of uh, believers. I think we have a responsibility to disciple people in the understanding of the Word of God, and that we have a, a, a responsibility to reach the world with the message of the Word of God, and we should disciple people. And And also, I believe that it's important to understand properly what the Bible holds in store for the future with the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ. So then, therefore, it seems that there's a difference between theology evolving versus theology deepening. Over this time, and once again, these things can happen, but it comes down to actually, as we always do, bottom line, how do we interpret the Bible? 
Well, that's right. Our theology should not be evolving into something that does not resemble what has been held in the past based upon the Word of God. Of course, we come to a greater and deeper understanding of the Bible over time and God and His Word and what it means to be a believer in Christ. It's a matter of deepening and we stand on the shoulders of giants. But we still have to come down to an historical, a literal, grammatical, historical understanding of the Word of God and that we hold fast and that's where we put down our stake. This is what we believe. This is where we stand, and we will not move because the Word of God does not change. God himself does not change, and his Word does not change. Amen and amen. Great discussion with David James. We do this on a weekly basis. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, re-listen to it, or go to David's website, Alliance for Biblical Integrity. Give us that website address quickly, David. Yes, biblicalintegrity.org, one word, biblicalintegrity.org. Go there and you'll find all kinds of information. Hey, David, glad you're back from Canada, safe and getting ready to go again. Great discussion today. Looking forward to another one next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to put everything together on this broadcast today and we'll take a look at the book and see how they fit. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. This gives me an opportunity in the last couple of minutes of this broadcast 
for us to take and remind you of what our broadcast partners had to say. And these were excellent reports coming from all across the world. Then we open God's Word and we look at each of those events that were reported with the details and tell you how they fit into the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Keep the dial set. I'm going to give you a prophetic perspective in just a moment. By the way, if you happen to miss any of these broadcast partners, you can find them on my website, prophecytoday.com. If you'll go there, we have them archived so you can listen to them. Go to prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And do me a favor, pass that information along to a friend. They need to understand exactly what my broadcast partners brought to these broadcast tables, the details behind the headlines that we're looking at today, and see how they fit into that end-time scenario that is in God's Word. Now let me rehearse for you some of the issues that I discussed with my broadcast partners. I'll only mention one item for each broadcast partner, but there are many others that if you'll go listen to what they had to say, you'll be well encouraged in understanding how current events are really letting us know the end times are about to appear. For example, we went to the catbird seat in Washington, D.C. There we found Ken Timmerman. He talked about an article that he has in Frontline Magazine. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. But in the discussion, we talked about chemical weapons in the hands of Saddam Hussein. And we're talking about way back in 1988 when this happened and Saddam Hussein gassed the Kurds in the northern part of Iraq, killing thousands of them with chemical weapons of mass destruction. What about that question? Were there any chemical weapons or any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Ken brought to our attention a number of these chemical weapons were transferred by Saddam Hussein over to the Assad family, the leadership in Syria, with these weapons being transferred there in the Bekaa Valley. It's not only what Ken reported, but what the prime minister at that time of Israel, Ariel Sharon, reported to us as journalists as well. And so the Iraqis did have weapons of mass destruction. Well, we've talked about two nations, Iraq and Syria. Both of them will play a key role at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. It refers to the king of the north. Let me take a shortcut. If you go back to Daniel 11, verse 5, it introduces who the king of the north is, and geographically, that would be modern-day Syria. There will be an alignment of nations, as foretold in Daniel chapter 11, Psalm 83, and Ezekiel chapter 38, and Syria will be one of those major players. In fact, they'll be the first ones to make a move to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel out of this entire alignment, those who have formed a coalition to go to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Those are the passages of Scripture that you can look up and see how they fit into the scenario, and we see current events setting the stage for them to be fulfilled. 
David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update, the United States and the Israeli Defense Force in a dress rehearsal of their military might, both the United States and Israel, in anticipation and so they could respond to an Iranian attack. Almost on a daily basis, the Muslim leadership, the Ayatollahs of Iran, make statements that they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They can do it in nine minutes. Well, this is a terrible threat to the Jewish nation, but the Bible says it will happen when that alignment comes to destroy the Jewish state. And the United States at this point in time is at least stepping up to help to defend Israel when that attack does take place. John Rood, who's the man who covers the European Union for us, gave us some great insight about the killing of the Russian spy and assassination and everybody accusing Russia of doing that with Vladimir Putin giving the command to follow through. John brought to our attention this not only may have been the case, but also it would assist in the upcoming election for Vladimir Putin to be reelected as president of Russia. That would all fit into the end time plan as well. Dr. Don DeYoung talked about the life and death of Stephen Hawking. He is now in eternity future, and in fact, he was a man who Really, everything he reported in his scientific studies was taken by faith. He had no scientific fact. He just took everything and reported it by faith. Well, when we take Genesis chapter 1 and understand God created everything in six days, six 24-hour days, we take that by faith as well. But God's Word gives us greater security in understanding that how he reports everything came into existence is absolute. Jim Jr. in Jerusalem talking about our tour. Love to have you come and go with us on one of our tours. We have eight this year. But they're walking in the land of the Bible. They went to Independence Hall where there will be a great celebration of the 70th birthday of the Jewish state. That's where Ben-Gurion announced to the world that Israel was once again among the nations of this world. A very historic event. And it's so great to be able to walk in the land of the Bible. You look at Israel past, you touch Israel present, and you can visualize Israel future as it's laid out in God's prophetic word. And then my weekly conversation with David James on evangelicalism. What is it? Is it still alive? What makes an evangelical? It's a great discussion. You don't want to miss it. It's important for the body of Christ to have a biblical understanding of this issue. Again, let me remind you, all of my broadcast partners, their conversations have been archived. They're on my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN and you can listen to them. And as you do and put together what I have said right here in this look at the book, it'll help you to understand we're quickly approaching the time of the end, which is described in God's Word with the next event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church. And by the way, that rapture could happen at any time. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.